This is One in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 54 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning I'm speaking with Courtney Burke, who is the Chief Operating and Innovation Officer for Healthcare Association of New York State. Courtney, good morning and welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Good morning, Eliza, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, I think that I first, I, I believe we have met, but it was a long time ago. Um, and it was probably way back when, when you were the um, commissioner of the Office for People with Developmental Disabilities, OPWDD, which at Anderson is an acronym we are very familiar with and we work with OPW all the time. Um, but now you've moved on and you are uh, with healthcare, the Healthcare Association of New York State. And I would like to start, I think, by just giving you a chance to introduce yourself, give us some of your background and talk to us about why the organization you're with now is one that um, really you probably want everybody to be very well aware of. Great. Well, I, I'd love to, but first of all, let me just thank you for having me on today. And I also am familiar with the Anderson Center from my time as commissioner at OPWDD. So thank you for all the amazing work that you do for people and families and really appreciate that. Um, and yes, so now I am with the Haney's, the Healthcare Association of, of New York State, where I'm the chief operating innovation officer, as you had indicated. Haney's represents uh, primarily hospital and health systems, um, all, nearly all of them across New York State. So it's not just hospitals, but if they also have a system that includes a nursing facility or home care services, those are also considered members of Haney's. Uh, we also have a, a specialty hospital that is opening in the near future that specifically provides services for people with autism, which is the Center for Discovery in Sullivan County. They are also a, a member of ours as well. Um, and, and, and how I, I got to Haney's, um, I've always been very passionate about how, uh, health, how important healthcare is, both access to it um, and related supports and services, and started out in healthcare more generally, but with a focus specifically on disability issues and got to learn firsthand right away when I started my career how difficult it is for people to sometimes navigate the various systems and supports that are available available for people and families sure. and became passionate about making their access to those services better <laughs> um, and was in uh, disability advocacy for the first six years of, of my career before I went back to more broadly looking at um, healthcare change and, and access, um, but then had the opportunity to again specialize um, on focusing on people with disabilities at the Office for People with Developmental Disabilities. And that was truly one of the most rewarding times in my career, in part because I really got to know the individuals um, who had disabilities, those with autism, their family members, mm -hmm. um, and, and that was really satisfying. Then I went back again more generally um, as the Deputy Secretary for Health, again, that broader picture of, of healthcare, still with a passion for, um, for people with disabilities or any of those who are um, underserved or could be better served by the system. Eventually went to a provider organization and then um, Haney's was a great place for me to be and 
really a culmination of all those things because it's advocacy, right? Um, it's it's healthcare, and it's working directly with our member organizations. So you feel a little bit closer to the people that you're supporting. Yeah, I, I was reading that uh, in preparation for this conversation that, you know, um, under your title, I saw healthcare policy advocacy, quality improvement and data analysis. And um, and I think it was great that you added that piece more specifically about, um, you know, getting to know families. And um, uh, because I, I would think, <laughs> certainly heightened by the fact that we're living in, in a pandemic now, that um, the the challenges that you referenced before about uh, access to appropriate and, and necessary health care have just become exacerbated, um, not not easier. Um, although the hope is hope we're learning, right? We're, we're hopefully taking away some positives from this really awful experience about what needed to change. So, so um, that's exciting and a great background for this conversation. Um, there's a lot here. So, so I would definitely want to touch at some point on the specialty hospital that is being opened at Center for Discovery. Um, I did read about that. I thought that was exciting um, and very new in terms of a, a hospital specifically serving people with autism. Um, at Anderson, we have had to, we've relied, I should say, on developing relationships with local hospitals that has led to improved care and understanding and the ability to first sometimes get in and even train some of the emergency room staff um, and people that we've we've worked with over the years um, because even at a 24-hour care facility like Anderson is there are times when you need to go um, whether it's for a medical emergency or a um, or a uh, more of a psychiatric sort of behavioral emergency so um, so it's exciting to hear that that's uh, emerging. Um, but let's stay broad for a minute and just ask you about during this period of COVID, um, are there some silver linings that you've been seeing in terms of, of, of systematic change or improvement or just uh, the ability to communicate with the people who need to know how best to, to gain that access? I, I would say there are two major silver linings of this tremendous, awful, whatever year you want to call it. Oh yeah, with all due respect, it's not a, it's not a silver lining for really anybody. But but trying yeah. to look at what how we can adapt through things like this. Yes, and I and I always look for those things. And I I would say the first um, silver lining is is number one, something that a lot of us have known for a long time, but maybe the public hasn't, and there hasn't been attention paid to it, and that is health disparities that exist mm -hmm. um, for various populations. And that had not been something that really came to public light until the pandemic happened. And you began to see the information and data about how poorly the outcomes were for particular populations. And so I think it helped focus a lot more attention on, on any populations that were underserved and and made people much more aware of um, underlying disparities that those populations might be experiencing, whether it's somebody with autism, whether it's somebody from a, a minority community, whether it's somebody who's disadvantaged socioeconomically. The, and that has been um, a, a focus area for, for Haney's um, yeah, that we've been working on. We recently received a grant specifically to focus on disparities issues in healthcare. So that was silver lining number, number one, I think, Perhaps silver lining number two is that 
um, because the impacts of the pandemic were so localized, um, it really depended on what part of the state you were in. This time last year, New York City was the uh, center of the universe in terms of the number of outbreaks and the cases and so on, whereas upstate, you, there weren't even people showing up at hospitals because electives had been shut down. And so what what resulted is that hospitals were um, beginning to collaborate much more so than they had in the past with um, neighboring entities and, and organizations that they might not have traditionally worked with. And that's even more true now with trying to distribute vaccines. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. have underserved populations that typically may have been last in line um, actually getting priority to get access to the vaccines and, and hospitals have been part of that. So the, I would say those are two silver linings, two positives that came out of it. And we hope to see that type of local collaboration continue. I would hope so. I can tell you right now that we got to witness that firsthand. Um, and it was it was unprecedented. We've tried to share that as far and wide as we can. But I'll take just take a moment to tell you that um, because of, of who we serve and the fact that we are, again, uh, our children's program is on a campus. Um, and we also run about 25 group homes for adults throughout several counties. It was challenging to for a lot of people to consider how do I get my child to get a vaccine if the requirements are X, Y, and Z, and we're taking them off campus where they're comfortable and they're sort of feeling the most secure. And so a local hospital, Northern Dutchess Hospital in Rhinebeck, actually, their, um, their medical team and especially their nursing staff were amazing. And when they had vaccines available, they sent a team over to Anderson and they collaborated with our nursing department and provided those vaccines to students and staff um, without having to add the stress and anxiety for that. A lot of our, uh, the people we serve go through just getting on a van, going, you know, to the hospital, walking through those doors. Um, And we saw a huge success rate with those vaccinations. I think primarily because of those types of local connections, we had a similar thing happen with, um, with a local pharmacy. So I think that I would agree with you from, from the perspective of, um, of us at Anderson that without the relationships that got built and the understanding that we had to think out of the box and do something different because of what we were facing, um, people just stepped up and said, yes. So, so let's, uh, let's continue that collaborative approach to things. It seems to to work out for everybody. Yeah. And and I can say um, we had begun some of this type of work uh, in terms of local collaboration. Mm -hmm. We have a team at, at Haney's, that focuses on special populations, behavioral health, uh, managed care issues. And they have been looking at populations of people, some of them who have developmental disabilities, some may have uh, psychiatric needs, but they were ending up getting basically stuck in hospitals because there was no way to safely discharge them to the community. Um, And so they focused on what, what they were calling complex case discharge where the person might be eligible for multiple systems or not, or barely not eligible for one or the other. And they're ending, ending up living in hospitals um, almost for, for periods of time. Very depressing to see somebody have, be there long enough to have a birthday um, more than once. And they've um, found hospitals that had had more success and said, what are you doing to make sure that these people can get the supports and services in the community that they need? 
And then we've been sharing those best practices among hospitals so they can learn from each other on, on how they work inside the hospital and how they work with partners outside in the community to get the supports and services people need so they can safely transition from the hospital to the community. So we actually have a, a, a paper coming out on that. We've, we've done the conference on it, um, but we wanna do more work on it because we're having some good success. That's fantastic. That's definitely another area of need and one that, um, as you said before, just going back to the family perspective, that impacts everybody who's involved in the care and, and uh, loving uh, a person with, uh, with autism or another developmental disability is that um, sometimes a hospital setting might provide a sense of safety and security for the immediate moment, but it's not, it, it's sort of more than somebody needs um, if they can have access to, to those appropriate resources in their community, which is where uh, we certainly believe um, people should be able to access what they need as much as possible. Um, that little dinging you heard is our halfway mark. So we're going to take a short break. This is 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. The 1,200,000 women and men of Rotary have accomplished extraordinary things. They've taught millions of people to read, worked toward world peace, and have nearly eradicated a crippling childhood disease from the face of the planet. But each of those 1,200,000 women and men know they could accomplish so much more if only they were 1,200,000 and one. Find out what an impact one person can make. Learn about Rotary at rotary.org. Pass it on. Imagine a little lady who wouldn't give up her seat on the bus a TV host who wanted to be your neighbor, or an inventor whose 10,000 failures didn't stop him. These vivid images all share the same caption, inspiration. These people just did their best and they inspire us. Now, what will you do to inspire others? Inspiration is in you. PassItOn.com. And now 1 in 54 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and with me this morning is Courtney Burke, who is the Chief Operating and Innovation Officer at the Healthcare Association of New York State. And Courtney, it's been a really interesting conversation so far today about... Uh, I guess we've focused mainly so far on some of the silver linings of this past really awful year when it came to so many things healthcare related, um, but uh, seems to be that there's maybe some new ideas on the horizon about how to focus on local collaborations and increased access and and looking at models that are getting it right and trying to replicate those, which people say all the time, but I get the sense that it's it's more often talked about than actually done. So it's great to hear that you have teams at Haney's looking at models and then going and asking how uh, how they're how they're getting it right. Um, I want to transition a little bit. You had mentioned that that uh, that you're collaborating with uh, the Center for Discovery, which is another uh, residential facility, residential program for um people with autism and I think other developmental disabilities as well, maybe in addition to autism. And there is something really exciting and new happening out there. So why don't you tell us about this specialty hospital? Sure. Uh, happy to. It's it's uh, exciting to see. So um, Center for Your Discovery, as you had said, 
serves a lot of um, individuals with developmental disabilities, and they have a particular focus on autism. And they had, uh, for many years, and, and it took them several years to get there, noted that for um, populations with complex medical needs, a lot of the times the, the right services and supports didn't always exist in New York State. So they applied to develop a specialty hospital um, for, those, for those kids, many of whom ended up being sent out of state uh, because the supports and services were not here and received a, approval um, to build that specialty hospital, which I can't remember, um, they may may have started the groundbreaking at this point um, and hope to be operational in, in the coming months. So it's been very exciting to see something like that that really has never existed before in New York State um, come to come to life. That is going to be really interesting. As I said earlier, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work that gets um, a lot of resources used to um, to develop relationships with local hospitals, it just in just in becoming more aware, being more educated about some of the special needs of people with autism and other developmental disabilities and their caregivers, some of whom might be a direct support professional who's you know working with them at a residential facility and not necessarily a parent immediately um, or a sibling. It might be. Uh, any number of things going on. And um, I, I think that uh, I've seen a big change when it comes to an openness amongst the entire medical community um, from pediatricians all the way through uh, about becoming more, um, more knowledgeable about autism and how it may manifest. And, and that phrase that I'm sure you heard when you were at OPWDD and maybe before that, but that you've, if you met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, that applies in an emergency room setting, that applies in an ambulance, that applies on a scene of a, of a situation where you're trying to assess what's going on. Um, so, so I think the addition of a specialty hospital where that level of expertise is going to hopefully grow and develop and then expand could be really interesting. So, um, so that's exciting. And, and uh, we um, we're looking forward to hearing how that goes uh, for, for the folks uh, who were served there. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the next things coming down the pike that you and your team at the Healthcare Association of New York State are looking at or working on? I, I assume you're the type of organization where you're well into the future in terms of your thinking and planning. Yeah, that's a, a great question because part of part of what I do, my innovation hat is just that. It's looking at how is the future of healthcare changing? Mm -hmm. And prior to the pandemic, Interestingly enough, we had done a long-range planning process, and so in 2019, looking at what is the future of healthcare overall, and what are the biggest factors that are either going to have the biggest impact or are going to be the most uncertain. And you look at all of these different factors, whether it be the economy, whether it be funding for services, whether it be the politics, whether it be consumerism, uh, technology, and we, ha we had to have, uh, we had to pick two to help us with our planning and our board picked two items. One was the impact of technology on healthcare. So not a surprise if somebody asked you, what do you think is going to have a, a, the biggest impact in yeah, 10 years? You'd probably sure. say technology. Um, and the second one was the growing divide between the have and the have nots, which I, I thought was um, once, once the pandemic happened and you finally saw the highlight of how 
the disparities um, between the have and the have-nots had grown, both in terms of the people being served, the mm-hmm. provider community, society. I, I was I thought, geez, they really they really knew what they were doing when they picked us before the pandemic. And both of those factors, um, I think, accelerated as a result of what happened during the pandemic. But what we did is say, regardless of those factors, how do we plan for the future and be resilient and make sure that providers survive and that people are getting the services they needed? And they picked four strategies to help with the future of healthcare. One was um, understanding more about how dollars flow in healthcare so that they could be resilient and they could compete with some of these very non-traditional healthcare providers that may not necessarily be in the autism space yet, but probably will be if they aren't already. So your Walmarts, your Googles, uh, companies that typically had never been in healthcare. So mm-hmm. that was that was first on their list. Okay, like, okay, they're getting into this space. How do we compete with that? Second was understanding consumers better, um, yeah. which I think something in the developmental disabilities world has done very well about trying to build supports around people as opposed to just saying, this is what we offer, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but healthcare learning how to do that better, understanding what consumers want, what they need, and then building up from there. Third was embracing technology because um, it, as you saw, it really exploded during the pandemic, particularly telemedicine, but other forms, um, artificial in- intelligence would be another example that can help us learn more quickly about better services that we can provide. And the last one was innovating around workforce. And there's nothing more important in the developmentally uh, disabled community people with autism, then direct support professionals and the people that work to support them. So it was, to me, um, incredibly uh, a lot of foresight on the part of our board to come up with the, those four strategies yeah. to help, help us innovate and get ready for the future. That's great. That must have that must have really felt good to you. That's sort of like a, a nice... Um, uh, a nice uh, group of four things that I think you you are very passionate about and have experience with. So that's awesome. Um, I would agree with you that that uh, those are they they also resonate with me from from the perspective of working at a provider agency that um, that the idea of uh, there's been a huge impact on workforce uh, vacancies the the type of person that it really takes to come and take that DSP role and 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 stay with it and and be proud of it and feel good about it when it's unfortunately not a highly paid position. Um, it's, uh, I know that because we have an international fellowship program here, we hear from people from other countries that sometimes are quite shocked that our DSPs in this country are not considered some of the highest ranked professionals in, in the country. Um, it's just a different, it's a very different sort of cultural approach and, and, um, and business approach, I guess, um, but but retaining those amazing staff and recognizing that they really are the glue that keeps everything together is very important. Um, and and telehealth, uh, it's funny, you know, technology is one of those things that probably has for decades been, you know, something sort of new and going to carry us into the future. But um, going beyond telemedical help into telebehavioral health and the ability to continue to, continue to provide consultation in that manner um, and, and expand who we're communicating with 
You know, the world has gotten a lot smaller now that all you have to do is get on a Zoom call. Um, You know, so I think that the the future, while um, still tenuous at the time, is certainly looking, um, I think, brighter long term. And I'm just thrilled to hear the work that you're doing um, at the Healthcare Association of New York State. Um, For more information, you can go to the website. I think it's, uh, is it Haney's.org? Yes, H-A-N-Y-S dot org. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And there's a lot of information there about this grant, about the, the disparity that you're talking about and the work that you're doing there, as well as a lot of other things that are going on um, there. And I just want to uh, thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the show today and talking with us. We look forward to staying connected, um, certainly between Anderson and Haney's and uh, sharing whatever we can to collaborate and those local connections and collaborations in the future. Well, I I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you keep up your wonderful work at the Anderson Center. A shout out here every day. (laughs) All those DSPs, uh, families and self-advocates. Keep up the good fight. Excellent. Thank you so much. This is One in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 